and welcome to the De La Sposa podcast, where we offer you insight into the artists, exhibitions and activities related to De La Sposa Gallery and the wider art world. I am Jessica Fillimore, co-founder and director of De La Sposa. Today, contemporary artist Misha Milovanovic is in conversation with Lee Cavalieri, curator and director of VOMA, the world's first virtual online museum of art. In this wide-ranging episode, Misha discusses her artistic practice and the exhibition The Shape of Colour, which is currently on view at De La Spesa Gallery. She also discusses her exploration of art in the digital sphere, her participation in VOMA and the release of NFTs. Before we begin, remember to follow us at De La Spesa by hitting the subscribe button. For more details on Misha's exhibition The Shape of Colour, check us out at delasposa.com. I'm assuming it was, it was back in my Max Wigram days, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, that's a while ago. <laughs> I remember you coming to my studio at the time. Oh, I brought some drawings, which are well, paintings, actually paper, paint, uh, paintings on paper, uh, back to my house and you popped in to see them. And I just thought, I quite like this person to be my friend because I like the enthusiasm. <laughs> you were very... Um, not only, and this is nothing to do with you being kind of younger, and um, but there was just this just lovely, contagious enthusiasm that <laughs> is rarely seen <laughs> and rarely seen in, in the art industry. People are, I think they prefer to be a bit more, I don't know what they prefer, um, referring to your openness, and that was just great. And I remember you were you were starting to do your independent curating at the time and it was just great it was yeah that's that's my, my yeah, those were fun yeah. times and I really liked your work it was just something very um what's the word it's kind of naughty it's just kind of silly and naughty and fun and it's you know that's nice too you know because it's not unserious but it is um you know it's it's got this kind of pop edge to it but it's not pop art you know, it's yeah, it was fun. I also like the way that you were, because you were doing stuff in fabrics and furniture and all this kind of stuff. I've always liked those kind of hybridized ways of working, you know, that, you know, an artist's work doesn't have to be, you know, relegated to one particular area, you know, you can kind of carry that across. I remember receiving a fair amount of criticism for working in different mediums. Mm. Uh, and I, Specifically, remember one distinct person who shall remain nameless and saying, "You won't be taken seriously." And uh, I just thought I take myself seriously, and I really love experimenting with these different mediums. And if I had a massive, huge warehouse, which would be my studio, I would do exactly like if I won lottery and I was suddenly mega gazillionaire, I would do exactly exactly what I do now. Mm. work in different mediums and and um, possibly engage more with the real craft and artisans in mm. you know in that sort of collaborative uh, way of creating work and I think it stems from working with my mom making things with my mom as I was growing up right we made lots of clothes together because mm. we couldn't find 
cool things to buy in shops when I was growing up. Right. In the eighties in Yugoslavia, which was uh, just you know, Tito just died and the economy dried up and shops were, you know, you couldn't buy cool things. So we had magazines, so we would open them up and we were like, okay, we'll make a dress, jacket, so on. Mm. My friends and I were making shoes together. Yeah, it's, it's a culture, you know, Cuba reminded me a little, little bit of back home, going back to, you know, being in Cuba a few times. Mm. Just the incredible... Uh, generosity of spirit, but also ingeniousness of people that were continuously recycling and creating from what they had there. From necessity as well, and a drive, oh, a drive to see something new and different. Completely, completely. It's um, interesting what you say about not being taken seriously. I had a conversation with um, a friend of mine who used to be at White Cube years ago, and we were just talking about a few kind of you know prominent artists who you know have been around for a very long time and whose work is less interesting now than it used to be because they you know they've been kind of driven by the market to make the same things again and again and again and again and I think that's what probably what people mean by being taken seriously it's like being taken seriously by the market because you know if, yeah. if you're making the same stuff all the time then everyone knows that it's you just by looking at it you know you look at Anish Kapoor's a good example you know with like those dishes you know exactly what that is who it is um but of course, you know, you end up being kind of driven mad, you know, within your own creativity because, you know, you're changing all the time and art is a really yeah. intuitive space, right? And as you get older, your art is going to change. But if you're being constantly kind of forced to create or, you know, it's being suggested that you make the same stuff again, yeah. then that, that's going to dry up pretty quickly and you're going to start Absolutely. becoming this kind of machine and, <laughs> and that's not an honest way of making work, really, is it? It doesn't really serve the artist. Very well, much. you know, if you, I mean, I, I, like, I'll just take a Picasso as an example, not that I'm comparing myself to Picasso, but, you know, if you look at the way he was pushing the work and experimenting with the work and also working in different mediums, I, I really, really like somebody like Ed Tyson who doesn't really at all has a, a particular style or, even Kippenberger um, in his paintings. But if you, like, I remember going to Louise Bourgeois' um, the retrospective at the Tate some years ago, possibly, even mm -hmm. years. Yeah, it was a while ago. I worked on that one. Um, fantastic exhibition. And if you walk to all those rooms, you'd, you'd be thinking it's 10 different people doing the work, but it's it's an artist's journey. You know, you you cannot simply just make one thing all along in a, as a process. But again, she was a grown-up when she started. You know, she started late, so she'd already kind of been through that kind of process of growing up and gaining confidence in being herself and who she was. So, yeah, I, I mean, it, you just rattled off some names, but it's never really occurred to me to ask you, who who are your influences? Do you have any? Like so like uh, my first love was filmmaking and storytelling because that's what I came to study here for in England. So that that would be like my ultimate kind of um, desert island disc art to take will be a couple of uh, cinematographers. Fellini would be very very high on that list for the for the kind of exuberance of characters and mm. the fact that he wasn't using professional actors a lot, and then the strength of these characters and the fragility of you you know human stories like how fallible we all are, how 
um, uh, deliciously flawed we all are and, and having a lot of humor with it as well. Um, but in terms of, uh, I have a very wide span of influences. Um, I am really somebody who's like um, very much influenced by music jazz i i have uh that makes sense actually <laughs> very interesting you say that um i don't work without music i have to have music music really um helps me think um yeah but i like to hear your thoughts about it and then i'll come back to just a couple of just few names but um when you said interesting what what did you what did you kind of uh how did that resonate with you what about you the jazz that? yeah well particularly with your paintings they're, they're quite jazzy, you know, there's a lot going on. And it's this kind of, this mash of different ideas and thoughts and, and techniques and processes. It just looks like an improvisational jazz piece. Oh, fabulous. Even though it's... But it does make sense. It's never occurred to me to look at it and think jazz. But yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I just, you know, there are a couple of jazz artists, musicians, like Thelonious Monk and... Um, Coltrane um, that are almost like fundamental to my work. Uh, also Alice Coltrane. I've just done a little series of NFTs that were that were dedicated on some level to her. I, I took a title of one of her albums, Spiritual Eternal, which uh, you know there was there was a bit of a danger in sounding slightly. Um, basic when I was choosing that title but that was the title of her album and I, I thought she really deserved recognition from me for all the kind of input into my heart and my soul and a lot of the work that I the way I experience life and world I uh, well it's not just one thing but um, I follow a lot of intuition it's almost like the voice of divinity um, high power that guides me and so some people have described that as a muse through like centuries of trying to pin that down that thing what art is for them so when you start making something do you know what it's going to look like when it's finished the way sculptures began to be formed into kind of real life objects uh, is that um, I was making paintings at the time so that's like 2017-2018 that consisted of this amalgamated kind of abstracted shapes from nature like I, I was traveling and there would be like a beautiful cloud um, I would sort of draw the it's really hard to do to ex explain why and how they began but I, I get these little visions like I want to create this it's almost like there's a little signal, there's a little pulsation that comes to me. And then I sit and I figure out how to do it. Um, and so from the paintings I, I was painting one day, I thought if I was to add the collage that would be in wood and if it, it, will, if it will kind of protrude from the painting, could that kind of go into the realm of sculpture a bit? Obviously, hugely influenced by um, Frank Stella and somebody like... Elizabeth Murphy, who's not very well-known artist, but her work is fantastic. She did these sort of cutouts, wooden cutouts. They were this playful, kind of wiggly elements, really cool work. Um, and then I thought, 
I know what to do. I'll see if I can create a sculpture. And so one thing always leads to the next and it's a journey. It's, and that's what jazz provides for me, this kind of, kind of inner um, cosmic kind of trip that I go into and then everything is pulled in. Even conversations with people, even like on some level there, there are some eulogies of people that inspired me in the past. They'll come into spiritually into the work, they'll be woven into. So like almost everything is part of the work, but mm. it just gets channeled through me. And so when I might start the journey, I have a fixed idea what it looked like. And by the end of it, I would have changed it a few times just because mm -hmm. the process will drive it. And then it becomes really exciting and I wanna push the work and hence why it would be really difficult for me to just do one thing, like just paint. Because mm -hmm. um, suddenly a piece of ceramic that is waiting to be painted on will find its way and be created, um, you know, because I was doing certain shapes. And then, you know, I would be like, oh, it's time to try to do that and then it might end up being a vase um, not vase for flowers but a vessel um, and then recently I turned one into uh, a light like a you know light that you can oh, use right. okay. um, so and, and I think for me on some level every everything even one's existence is that part of that environmental creation so that your conversation with your neighbor with the neighbor's cat becomes woven into the kind of beauty of being alive so everything really is lovely. it's it's like basically just like making sure that you're noticing everything yes isn't it and, and just celebrating it and that's what, what i that's that thing of like I don't really want to describe my art as this or that or that. Let other people feel that, whatever that is for them. <laughs> but on some level, I'm kind of trying to capture the joy and sort of weave it back in. And maybe that's not trendy, maybe it's not intellectual, but it doesn't matter. It's, um, I have enough training to press that button and to really make it very dry and curatorially acceptable, but I think I wouldn't be true to my nature, which is like you in a way, I wanna laugh, I wanna communicate, I wanna be with people, I wanna share life and, you know, kind of leave a nice space behind me when I'm not here anymore. That's nice. I, I think it's interesting what you're saying about the distinction between, um, you know, intuitive, you know, fun, as you put it, you know, the laughter and the joy in the work and something that's kind of stuffy and curatorial. Because, uh, you know, I don't see, you know, the curatorial process myself as, as something stuffy and intellectual. There is intellectual stuff in there. But I think, you know, when most people walk into an artwork, into a gallery and, and stand in front of an artwork, the first, the first response is not, particularly with sculpture, is not intellectual it's 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 loads of other stuff there's loads of you know spatial stuff there's you know physical kind of response there's emotional responses you know intellect comes later you you have a think about it then but it's that the the instinct the initial kind of response is is something in, instinctive i think and intuitive and i think 
you know, something about your sculptures that I really enjoy is just the way that they occupy space. <laughs> I know that sounds really basic, but I really enjoyed that about it, like seeing them in the flesh, you know, because obviously we had the one at BOMA, maybe we'll talk about that in a bit, but seeing them in, in the gallery and just seeing how they kind of, they are just these kind of forms in space. And it's just, re it was really fun being in there because it's like a dance as you move around them because they're changing shape all the time and there's all these holes in them and you can see through them and you can see around them. And you, there's one in, in, a, in a window, like a frame, and it's the, the one that's in Perspex, I think it's orange. And it's like, it's almost kind of, it's, it's vibrant, it's glowing, it's kind of buzzing almost. But it was the way that it made the negative space around it a thing. And that was fun. And they, they all kind of did that in a sense. You know, and that, that's a spatial thing. That's my brain walking around doing what brains do, trying to work out what this thing is and how it, how it occupies the space. And that's a really, you know, that's, that's an evolutionary thing, first and foremost. And I really enjoyed that about that space. You're kind of dancing around these objects. And I was in there for ages. I just kept kind of walking at things from different angles. <laughs> I just kept going. And then I sat and just stared at one for five minutes, you know, just enjoying it. The yellow one in the corner. I don't know any of their names. I, I did take the list. but yeah. And it, yeah, it was, it was just a really fun thing. And it was also like there was something about the, the way that they, they reminded me of your paintings, you know, a lot. It's something about the mark making. It's like they're marks in space. What? was your experience because we we did we did a piece together for Vama which was mm. so much fun it was it's so and such a cool project I love it you know how much I love um the sort of new digital technologies for the reasons that, that provides this new space that's developing daily um not just by Literally daily, daily. <laughs> um, and it's oh, it's brings so many new kind of streams and tendencies and groups of people creating and crypto art and NFTs and you know it's it's a very vast biosphere. Well, the thing with Voma was quite fun. I mean, we we wanted to do this sculpture pavilion, and it was the first sculpture on the pavilion at the opening. So. Um, and we'd been talking about them before you showed me pictures. They hadn't, I hadn't seen them in the flesh, I don't think. But I just, I just really loved how they were kind of impossible. When we were creating Voma, we were kind of, you know, you, you're always at the, bow, at the boundary of the impossible. You know, a lot of the things that are happening right now is, you know, you've got these museums that are doing replicas of their own gallery shows and it's it's getting more and more successful which is great and it's obviously you know people are getting their heads around it but what we were doing was creating something that doesn't exist in the real world and so we could do all these impossible things and your sculpture in Voma is impossible it's six meters high and there's no way that it would have weighed about 10 tons or more than that so we wouldn't have been able to put it on that platform. It wouldn't have got there in the first place. Or if it did, it would have cost millions and we would have had to you know, rebuild the whole thing. So it was just this whole, it was the impossibility of it, the, the, spect the mass spectacle of this huge, insane object that just kind of introduced the, the idea of what we could do here. You know, it's like, 
it's asking questions of like, okay, look, if we can stick a six meter high steel sculpture on a platform, you know, that's just the beginning. And it was just, the process was really fun as well. Obviously, you know, dealing with a digital version of a sculpture is something that can, you know, could, it sounds like it could go badly boring and, and a bit weird, but actually it felt really physical. And we had, you know, we had the viewing spots around it so you could stand almost under it. And we're going to put it in the archive. We're, we're working on this at the moment because we want to kind of show past shows so people will be able to go back and visit it. Um, but it was amazing, you know, because you're standing under this huge thing and the sun's behind it. And it really did feel like you were there. Um, and that was really exciting. And it was, yeah, it was just, it, yeah, it was, it was outrageous and crazy and good fun. <laughs> So great because we got so much press for it. Both you guys and I did on the on the sculpture as well, um, which is lovely. And it's really lovely to be part of something that I believe in. Uh, I'm very proud of. Roma looks great. I think you guys are just going to go from strength to strength as this continues. Another lovely impossible thing that you can't do in normal museums, which is like we're going to show have a portal so that you can go back in time. To previous shows so we're just kind of working out how to make the server handle that basically <laughs> but yeah we'll be able to go back in time um because yeah. we want voma to be this kind of archive as well so yeah. you know you will be able to go back and see it at some i can't wait to you well i know it's it's just gonna get better and better and um uh you guys have had your first nft recently um is that so it's still it's it's been yeah, it's an interesting one. We're kind of we're cautiously approaching the space because there's there's still there are still some kind of bumps in the road there, and I think we're in the conversation. Um, we've got some big ideas about what we might want to do with it, mm-hmm. but I think you know Stuart just launched a and Stuart Semple who founded it. He's very much involved in all of this as well. Yeah. Um, and we've been talking a lot about, you know, how how to kind of manage this side of things because obviously you've got the, not just the fact that it's commercial side to a, mm-hmm. you know, a non-profit, but it's also, you know, how do we frame it within, you know, within the conversation? There's all this mm-hmm. talk about, you know, environmental damage and all of this, which is really interesting, and it's it people are getting more educated about it now mm-hmm. and there are other platforms that are you know actually creating carbon positive mm-hmm. results and all of this so you know we want to kind of spend a bit more time thinking um about the process before we get too deep into it mm-hmm. but we have got some big ideas about what to do with it i mean how, what was your experience of of doing doing the, the nfts Oh, uh, I had a very positive experience because the platform I work with works with traditional artists into NFT. So they're like they're like a bridging kind of platform, and they will work with people who have not just art careers, but they um, they're thinking about what they're doing. Um, there are some really cool artists on the platform that I work with. They're called Snark.art. My um, my well, my experience was very positive because they what they do is they do something called lazy minting, which means that nothing is minted until it's sold, which then doesn't just create a, like one would argue it doesn't block the doesn't use the mining or 
from the electricity to, to create the mm -hmm. um, written codes so that the work is stored on the blockchain, but it would only be done once the work is actually placed with a collector. Oh. And also, my work is not selling for any huge amounts of money. It's very, they're very, very decent, uh, decently pr price works. They're strategically um, priced, so they're, they're not expensive. Mm -hmm. And it's not about quick buck or like, let's get in and sort of make some money and run out. Um, sure. I've been aware of crypto art probably for about eight months. I was extremely- Yeah, yeah, you were, you were ahead of me on that one. because Yeah, were, I was extremely excited. I tried to get all my friends involved because I saw the potential in it, not just the commercial potential, that too, but really more rather as interested in creativity. I am interested in creativity. You can do so many more things that are new and exciting and it involves animation. And, um, uh, you know, even though I don't work in animation um, and one part of it is environmental because obviously the video uh, needs more, uh, you know, it, it just waste small energy so until that is solved i'll just be working on stills um my so my overall experience has been really um fun it's been successful i've met some great people that uh, i would like to curate an exhibition with um this will be a digitally great curated exhibition because you know i used to do a lot of curating and advertising in the past and so on uh so my my eye I, you know, I have a twitchy eye. I love other people's creativity. I'm inspired. I also want to help uh, wherever I am. I like to support artists. I've already purchased some NFT works by artists that I love. Um, yeah, I yeah, I want to sort of share my enthusiasm. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's part of what we're thinking with, with VOMA is that, you know, the thing is, I've always, you know, we've got a manifesto in a way, um, which is on the website. Um, and it's one of those things that you kind of go back to whenever anything new comes up, because this, you know, the, the yeah. technology and everything is, it, it's evolving so fast. You have to kind of keep coming back mm -hmm. and saying, okay, why am I doing this in the first place? <laughs> you know, you don't want to just run away. And I think with VOMA, we've always thought, you know, the question is always, you know, why is it at VOMA? You know, there's there's got to be a reason that we're doing this at VOMA and not somewhere else. Um, and I think education and and support is part of that. It's, it's about kind of supporting artists to get out there. You know, that's kind of part of the ethos of the thing is to, you know, show work by artists that haven't had museum exposure or, um, you know, give them a bit of a leg up. Um, so the NFT side of things is really going to be to do with helping artists into the space and talk to them about how they might want to do that and strate you know, strategize it a bit. And mm -hmm. um, So we don't want to just go in there and just bang, fill the store with NFTs because there's no point. Um, but, you know, we do want to kind of make this a collaborative process with the artists, which is what we did with Melvin Gallopon, who's the first one that we had in there because um, he's got his digital mural and it was just a really fun idea and he's been really interested in the space but didn't really understand it mm -hmm. and I think artists have been feeling that you know a little bit overwhelmed by the whole thing it's not as complicated as people think it is I think and um, it doesn't take long to kind of work it out but I think you've got to do it on your own terms and, and not just get swept up 
otherwise yeah there's no there's no point really, really cool analogy which i'd like to share with you they said that in the current kind of crypto nft market and i i feel a little bit sad that it's so kind of quickly blown up and it was like it sounds like a bit like a flash in a pan but it's not it's been there way longer than you and i have been on that scene and it will remain and you know it's already developing and so many different streams and so on and so forth but the, the analogy was it was like it's like the early days of internet when you had to plug into the phone socket <laughs> to get onto the yeah. you know world wide web and uh, and now you know we're wireless and some some couple of years later we're wireless and i i think uh, the nft and the crypto and digital uh um market will develop to such a way that you know will have its kind of subgroups and mm-hmm. uh different elements where you know will either come from a traditional maybe some hybrid will emerge mm-hmm. but it will definitely be super exciting uh new i love i love the infrastructure aspect of it that some kind of nerdy kids have created and um Yeah, just, yeah, it's just got to mature, hasn't it? It's like anything. It will I mean, mature and it will, you know, it will be what it will be. And in two years' time, we'll be in a very different space. And you and I will probably laugh because our predictions were, you know, either wrong or right. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited about like development of that. That. Um, yeah, me too. Because you did a kind of a hybrid model, didn't you? Because that exhibition was yes. firstly digital, and then it was. Exactly. So, life. so, I mean, what was, how did that feel? Because I, I mean, it looked great. Yeah. You know, you're sending me pictures of this beautiful exhibition. I'm like, this is fantastic. What a great space. And it was a really nice space and it was well lit and you can really picture the works. And, you know, it really felt, it felt good. It was, it was a good thing. And these things were really well represented digitally as well. Thank you. I was slightly afraid that there might be a disconnect between digital and real. Mm-hmm. And actually, if I had about £20,000 more, then I would have been able to create exactly the same kind of, you know, volume in terms of, like, scale. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just so exciting to work. Um, so I have my best friend, David Heathcock, who used to own Big Sky Studios uh, in London, Um, very, very talented uh, entrepreneur, but, you know, just a great guy to work with. He is um, he's very proficient in ZBrush and Blender and all these softwares. Um, and we've been working on some ideas, me and him, to do with cultural heritage. And, 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 and he, he's very passionate about photography. So we looked into, um, to cut a long story short, creating a really cool environment to show art and we're both very passionate about architecture and design and sometimes we do furniture together creative you know as a partnership um so we decided to make an exhibition uh with Della Sposa no so that was like so the first phase um to go online um simply because we didn't know how long the lockdown is gonna last mm. um And uh, Jessica came to my studio before the pandemics. It was officially kind of like announced and we then couldn't move anywhere. And we talked about doing a show, but it would have happened probably within the next couple of years. So everything was really sped up. 
Yeah, we're we're really enjoying it at the moment as well because we're we're you know we're in that kind of space and we've got people asking us to yeah. build them spaces and so mm -hmm. we're currently we're just about to launch in the next couple of weeks hopefully. Okay. Um, our, well, we're calling it a higher space, but it's essentially it's a kind of a space to to just show people this is what we can create and it is beautiful. Brilliant. <laughs> I'm so excited about it. And, and it's just great, you know, because you can just create these amazing environments, you know, and we've got the outside as well, and you can wander around the grounds and all of this. It's like a, it's like a, a your own personal Voma. Yeah. But it's like, it, it's a beautiful idea because you're like, okay, if I wanted, you know, you can really blue sky this. And it's like, okay, what would be the perfect environment to show this work in? Yeah. You know? Genius. I mean, I think there's a, such a massive need for all that, um, which is obviously brought by being in pandemics. So on one hand, my exhibition got pushed a little bit forward in time, uh, thanks to pandemic and, uh, and also our willingness to experiment, to, uh, you know, create a fantastical environment to show pieces which don't exist in real world but come from real sculpture because mm. you have to physically make that piece before then gets drawn into CAD and once you make it you apply this further aspects of technology where you can implement the sculpture within the space so that again is created digitally so you have these elements of it's almost like cinematic kind of um projection of like how I want to see these works live mm -hmm. in my life. Mm -hmm. And yet they belong in this kind of metaverse between real life and um, and digital world, which uh, was brought on by the times we live in. So it's quite exciting. It's it's making the best out of situation really. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it's you know it's the way moving forward as well. You seeing all these, you know, the, the galleries and the big museums kind of getting in on it as well. And it's like, this is, this is great. Cause it's, I think what it's kind of shown people apart from the fact that you can, you know, you can create environments to show work in, which is just brilliant. Mm -hmm. And you would never be able to do because the, the money is just not in the, not enough money exists in the world to do that really. Um, but it also gives access, you know, which is something that we're really excited about, you know, cause yeah. you can just go there. You yeah. know, and, and your space looked like something from, I know it had this kind of Mediterranean light to it and it was just beautiful. Was, and uh, you're going there and thinking, this is a great space. And if it was in London, a bit cloudy, it, <laughs> it wouldn't have quite the same, you know, experience. There was it was um, the environments are based on Louis, Louis Farragon's architecture. He was a modernist from 1920s he was basically a personal hero of mine and David's and we were like I want a sculpture there can we do it and we're like yeah and and on like it took a long time to build these pieces because you have to click click away um it's um yeah everything was built like obviously not like in the real world which would take years to build but it's still very time consuming and so that was a really exciting challenge like can we do this I would like to ask you a question about, I love your educational charity that you are um, chairman of, Mr. Chairman. <laughs> and uh, um, 
Would you tell us a little bit about it and also like how do you see the educational side of Volna being tied into? Yeah, it's interesting because you wear all these different hats walking around and then you realize that they're, they're kind of the same hat. Um, yeah, so the, it's called the 16 Trust. So founded it um, a couple of years ago. Um, the idea really was about um, kind of counteracting this idea that an arts education is not viable um, economically. You, you know, um, I think in this country we've had an awful lot of uh, funding cuts to the arts across the board, and I think it's um, it's this kind of illusion. Uh, it's created this illusion that any career in the arts is just you're just going to die poor, which of course isn't the case. So we've got people from across the arts, um, you know, actors, theatre people you know, costume designers, uh, everything, you know, gal gallery um, technicians going into schools in deprived areas to basically work with kids on kind of long-term projects. So, you know, in, in with real-world kind of backgrounds, you know, so a lot of the, like, Helen, the uh, costume supervisor, she just worked on um, Cinderella, you know, the big Cinderella in the round, like an amazing thing. And so she just went into the school and said to the kids, well, here's the brief I have, what would you do, kind of thing. And, you know, and it's, it's throwing up the enormous conversations for the kids. And it's also kind of showing them that, you know, I think our, our kind of tagline motto is if you, if you can see it, you can be it. So the idea is that, you know, that they're, they're like, Oh, hang on a minute. I can do that. Because I think a lot of these, these kids, you know, they come from really economically deprived areas. And I think that there's a real issue with um, aspiration. You know, they just don't, have any aspiration to to do you know they're not exposed to opportunities so as soon as they're given the idea that perhaps they could get involved in something cultural that could be quite transformative for themselves their communities and, and the world at large then they just jump on it and of course they're you know they're smart and um you know all they need is the kind of the opportunity so we're doing that but there's also the uh the next thing that i'm trying to i'm doing a bunch of funding rounds at the moment to get money for it but it's to create a 3d gallery for for mm -hmm. uh for schools so the idea is that they can create their own exhibitions either of their own work or work of you know great artists from out throughout history um in a space that's created like voma i mean so that kind of spec and that's going to be really exciting and i think that's going to be part of the voma's education program um will be that you can basically download this gallery for free and it's got a, um, a completely interactive you know you can hang your own works in there to a really high kind of spec um so that's really exciting because basically what that does is give young people the uh, the reins when it comes to running a gallery or even a museum because the idea of you know these young people going into a museum and saying you know being told that it's it's theirs you know you can actually you could do this is is alien I love the story of uh, uh, not only how you found a way to inspire the young generations, but also to, um, it's tremendously art, I've, you know, it's my personal experience that it's incredibly healing and uh, changes societies, uh, has a very positive in impact on the wider community. Um, and um, he brings in mind this wonderful man called Sir, Sir Ken Robinson. I'm not sure if you have ever come across him. Oh my God. 
just the most wonderful human being. Um, he sadly passed away last year, but he was a he was a great educator, sociologist, professor, um, English, lived in America for a long time. His life's purpose was to um, speak of educating and inspire in such a way that he's um, he's helped enormous amount of people worldwide on finding their true passion and living their life to the full. Now that sounds slightly could be um, taken as some kind of self-help guru. He was none of that. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's a tremendously wonderful thing to invest your energy into um, next generation and that's what i see you're doing yeah well i, I mean the, thank you but I, I think the the problems that we're seeing at the moment you know the inequality with with access to culture and things is only going to get worse if we don't address it and i think a lot of it is is uh, generational you know you, you mm -hmm. these young people aren't going to get into the arts right now they're just not mm -hmm. and so that means in 20 years time who's going to be running the art world you know people from richer economically socio-economic backgrounds and that's not okay you know we're already seeing a strain between the rich and poor and that's only going to widen as as time goes on if we don't address it and i think you know the even talking about doing this to people you know the, with talking about it with people is, is inspiring people into realizing hang on a minute yeah this is something we all need to kind of address in, in whatever way that we can I think that's what um, Tony Blair was really brilliant at um, years and years ago. And um, I want to ask you, um, having your own son, has that had any influence on your thinking in terms of actually dedicating your space and your time towards a project like this? I guess, you know, having, having Finn around, um, I guess that influences everything I do, so I can't say no. I don't think I did it with, with him in mind necessarily. I think it's just that whole generational... I mean, the thing is, he, you know, because he's on the front lines of this, you know, <laughs> he didn't benefit from all of Tony Blair's education, education, education funding because that was all cut by the Tories, like, it, yeah. you know, as soon as they got in. So he's kind of in that doldrum in between, you know, the end of that regime and, you know, whatever comes next. So, yeah, I guess he's on the front lines of this and he is, you know, we are, you know, facing that every day with him. You know, the education is not terribly inspiring and not terribly well resourced a lot of the time. So, yeah, but I think, yeah, having him around is always is always a perspective, you know, having, you know that, having a child. It, it a child. Do you think it's made you a better person? Having a child? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I think so. I think the first thing it did is make me uh, more patient. <laughs> um, and then it, yeah, of course, it makes you realise that you're not the most important person in the world, which, you know, in my early 20s, I probably thought I was. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, it, it makes you think a bit more broadly about how you can be helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes, absolutely. I um, On that note, I'm going to say I love the young generations love the energy of youth in every way, shape, or form, even when it's kind of sometimes culturally doesn't align with, with my sensibility of the ear. Mm. Um, and I, I um, love everything that is outside uh, in terms of outside art, you know, art that kind of 
rattles the apple cart a little bit. And um, yes, thank you, Lee, for being one of my first guests on the podcast or the gallery. gallery. And thank you so much for um, for being, you know, great support and a support and great friend as well. Oh well, pleasure course and thanks for you know being an amazing person and a great artist you know more power please Thank you.